This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to Mea Culpa Investigates. On today's episode, we'll examine how the Republican Party became the party of Donald J. Trump. History will record the political shift that has occurred, not as an aberration, but instead a natural evolution of where the party was already headed on its own. The sad truth is that this drift towards Trump did not happen overnight. The preconditions existed well before 2016, going back to 2008, and the nomination of Sarah Palin and the rise of the Tea Party. It was here, amongst the fringes of the party, from the House Freedom Caucus and CPAC, that Trumpism was born. But unlike past leaders who dominated the party, Barry Goldwater in the 1960s and Ronald Reagan in the 1980s, Trumpism has no specific ideology beyond the whims of its leader. All right, why don't I just ask you, what is Trumpism? Look, Trumpism is the set of values and attitudes and practices that Donald J. Trump has brought to American government and politics. Uh, you can get pieces of it by reading uh, two of his books, The Art of the Deal and The Art of the Comeback. You get pieces of it by, by looking at his campaign and by looking at his speeches. Before Trumpism, though, there was the Tea Party, which itself claimed an ideology, but was in reality a hodgepodge of racist and populist anger wedged into a belief system. The Tea Party movement came into existence just as the Obama administration came to power. In its existence, it became a multi-headed monster that wound up swallowing the Republican Party. This is America. How many of you people want to pay for your neighbor's mortgage that has an extra bathroom and can't pay their bills? Raise their hand. How about we all? Uh, President Obama, are you listening? We're thinking of having a Chicago Tea Party in July. All you capitalists that want to show up to Lake Michigan, I'm going to start organizing. At first, it was partly about opposing Obama's economic policies, foreclosure relief, tax increase, and health reform. It was partly about opposing immigration. But the Tea Party also challenged establishment Republicans. Several times, these groups helped power little-known far-right primary contenders to shocking primary wins over Republican politicians deemed to be sellouts. To begin, though, with a major political upset for one of the most powerful Republicans in the country, Eric Cantor, the number two GOP lawmaker in the House, beaten in the primary by a Tea Party candidate. Those candidates didn't always win office, but their successful primary bids certainly struck fear into the hearts of many other GOP incumbents, and then it made many of them more deferential to the concerns of conservative voters. Furthermore, many Republican voters also came to believe, sometimes fairly and sometimes unfairly, that their party's national leaders tended to sell them out at every turn. I live for America, I work for America, and I love this country, and I can't stand socialism, I can't stand communism. The only good communist is a dead communist. Talk radio and a growing right-wing media helped stoke the perception goaded on by Fox News, which recognized that it had immediately become the party of rage. By 2015, the Tea Party had become the House Freedom Caucus and was causing all manner of trouble for the party. By 2015, the Tea Party had grown into a potent political force within the Republican politic. It seemed like every election was featuring a stunning upset from a political outsider. In response, the party drifted further right and adopted many of its policies, which became the new Republican orthodoxy. They rebranded themselves late in Obama's second term as the House Freedom Caucus and set about to dismantle the traditional House leadership as embodied by party creatures like John Boehner. These men were the party's new bomb throwers, revolutionaries in khakis and golf shirts. 
Here we first get the sour taste of this new generation of leaders. It's schmucks like Representative Jim Jordan, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida, and former Chief of Staff Mickey Mulvaney. But first there was Sarah Palin. She was the original, norm-shattering, entertainerous politician, and her ascendance to the vice presidential nomination in 2008 was transformational for the party. Mr. Chairman, delegates, and fellow citizens, I will be honored to accept your nomination for Vice President of the United States. Lincoln Project co-founder Steve Schmidt was John McCain's campaign manager and helped choose Sarah Palin for the ticket, despite his deep reservations about what it would unleash. Schmidt called it a reality show choice in a recent 60 Minutes interview. What you saw for the first time with Palin was someone who was breathtakingly dishonest not being held to account for her breathtaking dishonesty by a lot of news organizations, particularly those with a partisan agenda, he said. She was unfit in a profound level. Well, Alaska and Russia are only separated by a narrow maritime border. You've got Alaska here, and this right here is water, and then that's up there's Russia. <laughs> so we keep an eye on them. He goes on to describe an entirely new class of politicians, energized by Sarah Palin, who saw themselves in her mold. If she could be vice president, why couldn't they be congressmen, governors, or mayors? They gave birth to self-anointed party leaders like Jim Jordan and Matt Goetz, legitimizing this new smash-mouth-up from the street-style conservatism. Meanwhile, this revolution was being televised. Fox News and right-wing conservatives continued to use Palin to push the idea that science was irrelevant and credible news was fake. This was the advent of the lamestream media tag and the concept that it was compromised of elites who looked down upon the rest of the country and should not be trusted. Journalists and pundits should not manufacture a blood libel that serves only to incite the very hatred and violence that they purport to condemn. That is reprehensible. I also noticed there came shifts occurring and pushed Trump into the arena with birtherism as his way to crash the party. Now, you know, this guy either has a birth certificate or he doesn't. And I didn't think this was such a big deal, but I will tell you, it's turning out to be a very right. big deal because people now are calling me from all over saying, please don't give up on this issue. If you weren't born in this country... Trump took over the Republican Party with breathtaking speed. But unlike the previous conservative revolution that began with Goldwater and culminated in Reaganism, there is no underpinnings of ideology. There is nothing but Trump. The rest is to be filled in later. Part of what built modern conservatism were the think tanks like the Heritage Foundation and publications like the National Review, led by William F. Buckley. His own politics were, in my mind, odious to their own right, but nonetheless, there was the underpinnings of an ethos. Remove Donald Trump and the message vanishes just as quickly. What doesn't go away though are those millions of Trump supporters who will ride or die with the president. Remove him from the equation and the crazies will simply coalesce around the next autocrat. And if anything, they're growing crazy by the minute in their politics of grievance, racism, and hatred of government. The term boogaloo is code for civil war. I talked to Nevada's regional director with the Anti-Defamation League. She told me what's called the boogaloo movement is young but growing. They side with the militias and the anti-lockdown protesters who menacingly wave their assault weapons and threaten elected officials. And above all, 
They're exercised by racial resentments and the idea that America will have a reckoning with its history of racial injustice. They remain inflamed by President Barack Obama and Obamacare, the remaining legacy of the first black president. Three quarters of those who approve of Trump believe that the difficulty black people face in getting ahead is their own fault, not because of discrimination, not because of America's history of systemic racism. Trump acolytes are encamped to block any further progress towards equality. We're staring down the barrel of a gun here in white America. There's still 193 million white Americans. Yes, the vast majority of them are in their 60s and 70s, will be in the ground in the next 20 years, and therefore we have the possibility of becoming a minority in our own country. The Republican Party of 2020, or what's left of the party after this election, will have to reckon with the ghost of Donald Trump for as long as he lives. Unless the man is imprisoned, he will take his revolution back to Mar-a-Lago and set himself up as president of his own MAGA Republic, waiting patiently to return back to the arena and take for himself the second term to which he was denied. There will be no autopsy where the party suddenly reckons with its own failed policy and recognizes its need to change. No, I'm afraid that the party will instead grow more extreme. You will not replace us! You will not replace us! You will we will see more Republicans embracing QAnon. We will see an even harder line towards the traditional areas of grievance as embraced by Donald J. Trump. And as the party's standard bearer and potentate, Trump himself will dictate who will carry the flag in his name. I truly believe we will see the birth of this end of history moment for the Republican Party on Election Day. Trump will lose the election, but will push the button on the uprising. This next chapter may very well prove to be even more frightening than what we've just witnessed. In the way that, say, ISIS was far more frightening than Al-Qaeda. This is the next step in a battle that has only just begun. Let me ask you about QAnon. It is this theory that uh, Democrats are a satanic pedophile ring and that you are the savior of that. Now, can you just once and for all state that that is completely not true so and disavow QAnon yeah. in its entirety? I know nothing about QAnon. In the hopes of making some sense out of the motivations and origins of this movement, I reached out to former Tea Party Congressman Joe Walsh, who ran a short-lived, long-shot presidential bid to unseat Trump in 2019. He garnered a ton of attention during his brief time in the spotlight against Trump. His run was never more than a protest candidacy, an opportunity to show voters the difference between Trump and a truly principled conservative. If Republicans, John, stay silent in the face of this guy, uh, I don't think the country will ever forgive the Republican Party, but forget about the Republican Party. If this guy gets four more years, uh, we're in real, real trouble. It turns out, though, voters did not care. Trump's base wanted more Trump, not just a Trump light. In short order, Walsh was excommunicated from the party. A budding conservative talk radio star, he was fired from his show for criticizing the president and found himself persona non grata anywhere on the airwaves. The message was clear. There's only one voice, and that belongs to the president. To be a Republican was to be living in autocracy under an autocratic extremist ruler. You did his bidding or you were punished. Walsh may have been the first Republican of his kind to turn against the president, but he would not be the last. In his language and his scorched earth style, Walsh presaged the arrival of the Lincoln Project and the establishment Republicans revolt against the president. 
Let's listen now to that conversation. Joe, thanks so much for joining us today. I want to jump right into this. It seems now that it's safe for Republicans to disavow Trump. The dam is beginning to burst with the likes of Ben Sass and others as they repudiate the president and his beliefs. Now, you've tweeted that it's not too late for them and their recriminations, but the GOP and modern conservatism needs to repair itself after Trump. Where do you even begin, if not first to disavow Trump himself? Hey, Michael, awesome to be with you, man. Look, at this point, uh, two weeks before the fucking election, uh, just criticizing Trump. If you're a Republican or a conservative, Michael, like Ben Sass, and you're just criticizing Trump now, that ain't good enough. Uh, look, history is going to decide. And the only way history is going to look kindly upon these Republicans, Michael, is if these Republicans right now publicly disavow him and publicly vote for the only guy who can beat him. I don't give a damn about criticism of Trump right now. Ben Sass and John Cornyn. All I care about right now is do you have the balls to vote for the only person who can beat him? Otherwise, Michael, I think they go down with him. Well, it's more than just disavowing, right? What else can they possibly do other than to turn around and to say, I'm voting for Joe Biden? I cannot take another four more years of this. In, in, in my mind, Michael Cohen, they can't do anything short of saying that. Look, for two and a half years, I've been on Trump's ass and I've been really outspoken against him and I've lost everything. Um, and, and Michael, like you probably, I've had so many Republicans in Congress telling me privately, hey, Joe, I agree with everything you say about him. For two and a half years, I've had to put up with this. So I, I don't want to hear or see them starting to criticize him now. The only thing that can save them is to say, because they all know he's unfit, Michael, the only thing that can save them is to publicly say, I'll vote for the only guy who can beat him, and that's Joe Biden. Understood and agreed. I, just as it relates to me, I'm not a Republican. Right. I've been a Democrat my whole life, and I never received those sort of words from different Republicans, um, congressmen or senators. Yeah. What I did notice is early on, so many of them hated Trump when yeah. there were 17 candidates. They didn't just they didn't just dislike him. They absolutely despised him. They thought he was the lowest form of garbage. You know, we used to say in my fraternity, I was a Z, a ZBT over at AU. We used yeah. to say, you know, lower than whale shit at the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's how he used to describe the pledges. Right? That's yeah. how they used to describe Donald Trump: lower than whale shit at the bottom of the ocean. Now. As a former Tea Party congressman, you, like myself, helped really to create the Donald Trump presidency. So you're sort of my um, my Igor to my Dr. Frankenstein. <laughs> take, take me back to the early days of 2016 and tell me how you and your fellow Tea Partiers at the time helped prepare the field or at least the electorate for the coming of Donald Trump. Uh, absolutely. And, and amen, Michael. And, and look, I, uh, I mounted a mission impossible last year. I tried to primary Donald Trump and I realized quickly after they canceled 22 fucking primaries around the country that it was impossible. But during that primary challenge, Michael, I had to publicly say on ABC, NBC, hey, look, Joe Walsh, Tea Party guy, I helped give us Trump. 
Uh, Michael, you know Trump better than almost anybody. Here's the deal. He's a con man and a demagogue. But we need to understand why he got elected. The average Republican voter out there uh, was really scared and angry. And uh, uh, the Tea Party people like me, we fed some of that anger. We, we, let our, we let our anger about policy get ahead of us. We said things about Obama and other people that we shouldn't have said. That helped lead to Trump. But Michael, the other thing that helped lead to Trump was a Republican Party that was out to lunch. Again, the Republican Party ignored their voters. Their voters were scared about, you know, oh, they're taking Christmas away from us. People can come across the border illegally. Their voters were scared and concerned. The party ignored them. And then Michael Cohen, along comes a demagogue who says, I'm going to build the fucking wall and make Mexico pay for it. Done. They bought it. The party did this. We all created Trump. Me, Rick Wilson, the Lincoln Project guys, we all created Trump. And I think that's a big part of what we're trying, why we're trying so hard now to beat him. Okay, so let's just now for a moment, and we're going to go back to the whole thing about birtherism because um, you played a part in the promotion of the whole birther um, conspiracy movement. But I want to fast forward for a moment to that first Congress under Donald Trump. How did the Republican Party so quickly become the party of Trump? Because I believe historians will be talking about this idea for a hundred in a hundred years from now, and how the Republican Party folded in on itself and became the party of this American dictator. How do you, Joe, think it happened from a party standpoint? And what were the key political moments in this revolution or this evolution of this Trump party? Well, and, and Michael, that's what I'm talking about. Trump became the nominee so easily because the Republican Party was so fucking weak and so out of touch with where their voters were. I mean, I mean, because the party was so weak, Trump overtook Cruz, Rubio, Jeb, all of them. Um, and, and then Trump gets elected, Michael. It's still a really weak party. So he could basically dictate the terms and do whatever he wanted to do. I think that's the big story that I think history will write about is how weak the Republican Party is. They were so weak, he got the nomination. And then they are so weak. And, and that's why for the past four years, he's like felt like he can do whatever he wants because these Republicans aren't going to call him out on anything. Uh, look, Michael, I have probably talked to a hundred of my former congressional colleagues over the last couple of years. And again, they all tell me privately they can't stand Trump. But they're not afraid of Trump, Michael. They're afraid of Trump's voters. They don't want to lose their voters. Almost all of the Republicans in Congress, Michael, they want Trump to lose. Uh, they want the party to go back to where it was before Trump, which is uh, they're dreaming. But they're really scared of Trump's voters. That's it. Well, then how weak could they possibly be? I mean, Trump with his voters. Look, I, th I see it a little bit differently than you do. What I see is that people and we specifically looked at what we used to term as the silent majority. And yeah. that was a portion that would vote Republican or Democrat, depending upon the individual, not really affil maybe affiliated to a party, but not affiliated to the party where they're diehards. They would keep an open mind as to which candidate could do best for America and the American people. 
And what I know of this silent majority is that they were sick and tired of the bullshit that goes on in Washington. All talk, no action. And what did Donald Trump do? He jumped in on that fear, that popularist view, and he and he wrote it. And the media was complicit in helping him to yeah. write it because they gave him a billion dollars of free advertisement yeah. to go ahead and to keep spewing his bullshit. He doesn't give a crap about anything. He doesn't care about anyone or anything other than himself. And if he could jump onto a view, a popularist view, and ride it as if it's his, I mean, he's the first one that decided that we have an immigration problem. No, but what he does is he takes it to an extreme because he doesn't read, because he doesn't yeah. understand politics. He doesn't understand diplomacy. He, he wants it as a dictator. It's my way or the highway. And you're right that the Republicans are afraid of his voting base. But I believe at the election, that's all going to change. What's your point? Michael, this is what makes me different from the other never Trumpers, because I voted for Trump in 16. The the people, Trump supporters used to be my supporters. I, I had a conservative talk radio show. They listened to me for six years. I know these people. I come from these people. I'm not like the other never Trumpers. And I'm telling you for years, these people had been telling the Republican Party were pissed off about people coming into our country illegally. We're pissed off because they won't let us say Merry Christmas. We're pissed off because there are now like 64 genders. Now, a lot of that stuff is crazy, Michael, but the Republican Party looked upon these voters like they were crazy. You're right. Trump doesn't care about any of this shit. But along comes Trump in 16 and he fed him a bunch of bullshit. He said, OK, I hear you guys. I hear you. I'll bring back Christmas. Uh, I'll get rid of this gender shit. I'll, I'll build the wall and keep these brown people out. Uh, all Again, it was all a con, but he was the first Republican who said, I hear you. And they bought the con. Joe, tell me, what was that specific moment where you realized not only was Donald Trump evil, which he is, yeah, but Trumpism itself was a cult? Walk me through your process of enlightenment and how you got there. Because I'll tell you, most people probably already know either from my book or from this podcast about my enlightenment, but I'll share it again. But I'm curious as to yours. So unlike you, Michael Cohen, I really didn't fucking pay attention to Trump, even in 16. Look, I supported Rand Paul in the primary. And even after Trump won the nomination, he blocked me on Twitter during that campaign because I would still criticize him. I voted for him, not because I loved him or liked him. I voted for him because he wasn't Hillary. Uh, but then he wins. And then after he won, Michael, I started to pay attention to him. And within about a month, I realized every time the guy opens his mouth, he tells a lie. I mean, every time. That really started to move me away from him. My final straw, Michael, the final straw, I went on the radio that night and said, I'm done with him. Uh, was Helsinki in the summer of 18. When this I son of, the same thing. Oh, my God. When this son of a bitch, Michael, stood in front of the world and said, I stand with Putin and not my own people, that was it. Yeah, when he denounced our intelligence community, oh. I said, oh, my God. Not only is he stupid, yeah. but he's, he's dangerous. You know, it's one thing to be stupid. It's another thing to be dangerous at our expense. And I, I, couldn't, I couldn't accept that one. That was it. Obviously, going back to me with my enlightenment, my enlightenment didn't come 
without a tremendous cost. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was stuck in the middle of a hurricane and a typhoon. I had the Republicans coming at me. I had the Democrats coming at me. All for what? Because Trump had his pecker pulled by a porn star and I paid for it? Oh, <laughs> that, that, what, a, what a big lie. Let me tell you, if yeah. you read, for example, Ronan Farrow's book, Catch and Kill, that yeah. thing goes on each and every day. Karen McDougal is all over that book. I, I actually had nothing to do with Karen McDougal except for reviewing documents by David Pecker that the SDNY decided to give yeah. everybody immunity except for me. And I, I seem to have been the guy holding the bag, the one thrown under the bus. And I truly believe, and I, I really believe that's what my next book is going to be about, uncovering the entire scenario from soup to nuts. Good. As to the way the prosecutors, the judges, the way all of this, the the FBI, the warrant, the Steele dossier, it it was all it's all bullshit. I've never been to Prague. So McClatchy, you motherfuckers, if you're listening to me, you shit group of assholes. I've never been to fucking Prague. Get that through your head. My cell phone has never been to Prague. I like I would really like somebody to turn around to tell them it's about time somebody apologizes. But my enlightenment didn't come at my own volition. Right. I didn't do that on my own like you did. And for that, I give you a lot of kudos and compliments. Uh, even Ben Sass deserves a compliment, despite the fact I think it's too little too late. <laughs> I, I didn't come to the Enlightenment on my own. Yeah. I came to it because I was imprisoned, because I was thrown under the bus. And I ended up getting separated. The hardest part of it was being separated from my wife and my children yeah. and then my friends. And then basically having the country look at me like I was something much worse than what I really am. And that's why I'm on this podcast. That's why I'm on shows, because I need to make amends, not yeah. just with my wife, my my daughter, my son, but this country as well. And I'm do and I do that. And my hope is that by me making amends, I ultimately um help to push this asshole out of office. But once you decided to walk away from Trump. How did that decision affect your life? Because nobody publicly turns on Donald Trump without paying the price of their actions. Had they come after you, and how did that affect your life? Uh, well, yeah, Michael. No, you're, you're right. And by the way, I appreciate your honesty, man. Uh, and and honesty will set you free. And the story you're telling now, uh, moving forward, I think is going to be so important. Look, I. I lost everything. I went on the radio that night of Helsinki and I said, and I was on nationally syndicated 100 markets. I was going to be, they were grooming me to be the next Rush Limbaugh, baby. Um, and I said, I'm done. I can't support him. He's a fucking traitor. I started to lose advertisers, listeners, the radio company I worked for, Salem Communications, Michael, they busted my balls every fucking day. They told all of us, Hugh Hewitt, all these guys, you got to be Trump cheerleaders. Come on, come on, come on. I wouldn't do it. So I lost my radio show. I lost all of my followers and my supporters. And then last year, Michael, when I said somebody's got to primary this guy, I know it's going to be impossible, but some Republican has to call him out. Mitt Romney, John Kasich, nobody would do it. I did it. I mean, the minute I did that, forget about it. I, I lost everything for an impossible cause. But I thought it was impossible that a Republican again calls him out every time. Look, Michael, I got no regrets. I did lose everything. Uh, but this is just one of those moments in American history where I think people just got to put country first. Yeah. I mean, I look, I say that in my book also, 
you know, not only, you know, financially did it destroy me. I mean, I'm broke, but I'm broken. I mean, the effect of this entire ordeal, it doesn't just break your heart. It shreds your soul because, yeah. you know, there's nothing more important to me than my children and my wife um, and their happiness. And what happened is, you know, when you go on the other side of Trump, he takes pleasure out of destroying that because he has no happiness in his life. His children are unhappy. He's unhappy. His marriages are all unhappy. And he doesn't like to see anybody happy. And it's a it's a terrible, terrible way to live. But that's but that's him. Trump called Fox News and told Fox News, keep Walsh off. Trump called Jeff Zucker and told Jeff Zucker, don't put Walsh on CNN. Trump called my radio company and said, this guy better get in line or take away his radio show. I mean, so yeah, you're right. He, he'll, he'll go after anybody. That goes to my next question I want to bring up to you. The toxicity of Trumpism, though, did not begin with Donald Trump. No. He latched onto it, right? Something that was already spreading during the Obama administration, much of it through really the Tea Party. Now, looking back on that time, what do you feel were the key moments that led us to where we are today? Well, so, so Michael, and again, I was the face of the Tea Party movement. And what I've said from the beginning is there are two strands to the Tea Party movement. I got elected in 2010 because I was pissed off about all the debt that both parties were thrown onto Washington, bankrupting our kids. That, that's what the Tea Party was to me. But there's an uglier side to the Tea Party as well. This nationalistic, populist side. Uh, Michael, let's be real. What is the Republican Party? It's a bunch of older white people. That's really what the party is. So a bunch of Tea Party guys like me went to Washington in 2010. We said we were going to do something about all this debt. We couldn't because neither political party gave a damn about the debt. So all of these Tea Party people out there, Michael, they lost hope. And instead of caring about the debt, they started getting pissed off at brown people and black people. And the populist aspect of the Tea Party came to the fore. And that's the part of the Tea Party, Michael, that Trump took advantage of when he said, I'll, I'll keep brown people out of here, man. I'll build the wall. The Tea Party people where I come from, they forgot about the debt. And all they cared about was this populist bullshit. And Trump rode that, baby. Now, I will say, Michael, as a Tea Party guy, yeah, you, you find some racism. There's plenty of racism on the far right, no doubt about it. But I don't think, I don't think the Tea Party is about racism. Trump was able to tap into some ugly elements and ride it, man. Well, he's able to tap into it because innately he feels exactly the same way. I mean, I stood before the entire world. I think they said 100 million people watched my House oversight you know, he, um, yeah. hearing. And I, I called him out. I said, Donald Trump is a racist, he, and he's a con man, and he's a fraud. And so far, everything that I said has turned out to be true. Now, I, I distinctly remember that the Tea Party put on a, an event for him. I think it was in Boca Raton, Florida. Do you remember that? Were you there yeah, for that? I was because not. that was something. That was something. He came back and he didn't shut up about that for for a week, which is a lot for him because he is the yeah. you know, the attention span of a flea. Yeah. Right. But he talked about that and how great it was. 
It was the greatest event I've ever seen. It was the, you have to see these people. <laughs> and what they did is they all had, a, as you just said, a very similar racist point of view to Trump, that popularist, nationalistic view. And you're right. He wrote it because, as I just said, he innately feels the same way. Michael, this is a really important point, man. And this is where the Republican Party really fucked up. And by the way, I think the Republican Party is done because Trump's going to dominate it for years. But these people, I mean, what the, the Tea Party, Michael, is really the base. It was the base of the Republican Party. And we're talking about older white people who were scared because their country was changing too damn fast. Race was part of it. But there were a bunch of issues that they were concerned about. And instead of talking to these people and educating them and saying, yeah, if you want to come to America, come legally, but we welcome everybody regardless of color. Instead of talking to these people, the party ignored their own voters and their voters felt like the party didn't give a damn about them, which is why when fucking Trump came along, Michael, they and he said, I hear you, man, I'll build a fucking wall. They like jumped to him. Because the party ignored them for years. Listening to these rallies where Trump would say, and who's going to pay for it? And in unison, right? I'm saying to myself, what? I mean, he literally had the entire audience unison screaming, you know, Mexico. And I just thought it was amazing. What I, what I appreciated the most is when the Mexican president came out and said, yeah. you're an idiot. We're not paying for anything. Good luck for that. And then, of course, that was a challenge to his, you know, masculinity and to his very fragile ego. So he turned around, oh, yeah, wait. Yeah, you'll see. I'm Donald Trump, and I'm the greatest <laughs> negotiator in the history of the world. No one negotiates like me. They don't think that they're going to pay for it. Watch how they're going to pay for it. So, Mr. President, if, in fact, you're listening to my podcast, which I heard that you do, how the hell are they paying for it? Yeah. Why don't you get up there at this upcoming debate? And why don't you why don't you tell us how Mexico has paid for anything, you bullshit artist? You know? But what's so sad is there he is the last week or two feeding that lie still. Mexico is paying for it, and the crowds cheer. He even said last week, he said, Mexico is paying for the wall, and China is gonna pay for the next coronavirus relief package. And they buy it and they bought it. Now, again, remember, these are people who needed to be educated, these voters. The party fucking ignored them. The demagogue has conned them. Here's the problem, though, Michael. They're a cult and, and they're clinging to this guy and they're going to go down with him. You don't have to tell me about it being a cult. I was knee deep into that swamp. Yeah. As a as a cult member. And I was high up. I was a high ranking cult member, you know, into this into this uh, Trump cult. And I can tell you something. They buy it hook, line and sinker. And what I don't like is when the media starts to refer to Trump supporters as uneducated right. white people. Right. I don't I don't like the term uneducated no. because just because you may not have a high school, college you know, or grad, graduate, postgraduate degree doesn't mean that you're stupid, right? Amen. What it just means is that you don't have a piece of paper you're hanging on your wall. I've met people who are more intelligent, much brighter, and much more in tune with the world yeah. who didn't finish college, 
than those that did. So I don't like that notion because it almost makes it seem though anyone who's uneducated, meaning dumb, right, is voting for Trump. And that's an unfair thing to say because it's just not accurate. And I think right now accuracy really matters when you have a president that's lied over 40,000 times in four years to the American public, to the people he's being paid to represent. No, hey, Michael, you're spot on, man. Look, I come from these people. Unlike most never Trumpers, I come from these people. These people are good, decent, patriotic people. They were scared about the way their country was changing. That's it. Um, And a demagogue fooled them. Uh, We somehow have to try to get them back. Okay, but four years. How long is it going to take? Now, watching (laughs) this group of people sitting inside, which in all fairness is extremely white, you really see very little diversity in these crowds. The notion that they're sitting in these tight spaces and they are not wearing masks and they're listening to the same thing. We're, We're approaching a quarter of a million Americans dying, dying as a result of this coronavirus. Well, and Michael, he doesn't give a fuck. He doesn't, to your point, he doesn't give a fuck. He knows right now that he's fucking getting people sick and he's killing people. He doesn't care. Yep, as long as he can come back and say, did you see the size of my rally? It's great. Don't, who cares about the polls? Look at what's going on. Sleepy Joe, there's nobody showing up. That's because he's not having the rally, you fucking moron, right? He's the dumbest of all of them. Well, look, what, you know what Donald Trump shows? That if you have a rich daddy, you can buy a degree to any school that you want. By the way, Michael Cohen, I don't know that I'd call you a cult member, though. Only in that, even though you 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 worked for Trump and you were right there with him, you didn't. Be- you never really believed his bullshit, did you? You knew he lied from a-, a lot, didn't you? Yeah, but I promoted it and I I sent yeah. it there. I was I was as high up in that cult, and I, I was a cult member. So, Joe, you were one of the first true conservative Republicans to oppose Trump's reelection beginning in August of 2019, and we talked about this when you announced your intent to challenge him in the primary. Right. What did you sense then that made you think that he was vulnerable, or knowing the president? and how he views loyalty. What did you hear from the White House about your decision to run? Oh, they fucking went after me, Michael. I had people in the White House calling me, threatening me. I had former members of Congress, Republicans, calling me, threatening me. Uh, I mean, that was a hellacious month or two, people threatening me not to do it. Uh, they just, they, they didn't want anybody to challenge him. Um, I here's what I thought, Michael. I, I I knew Trump was a fraud. I knew he was unfit. I'm a conservative, so I figure I can talk to these Tea Party people and conservatives and tell them I'm one of you. Trump's feeding you a bunch of bullshit. He lies to you every day. I'm a real conservative, so you can get me and not all of the bullshit. Then right after I got in, Michael Trump put his thumb on the Republican Party and said, start canceling primaries. So they started canceling, literally canceling primaries all over the country. By the end, they canceled in 22 states. So they did whatever they could to make sure there wasn't a challenge to him. (laughs) They really are. They really are amazing. And these are the same people. These are the same people that he destroyed 
during you know these primaries, uh, you know the Republican primaries himself, like the Ted Cruz's, the Mitch McConnell's, yeah. and so on. I mean, now all of a sudden, Matt Getz. Oh, God. what happens to Matt Getz and other morons like him in Congress who continue to run on a strict Trumpian agenda? Will they pivot in the aftermath? Or do you see a concerted group trying to court what is left over of Trump's hardcore constituency? No, so so this is why I think the Republican Party's fucked. And I think it's breaking up before our eyes. Because Trump and Trumpism is still going to dominate two-thirds of the party. So guys like Matt Getz, Tom Cotton, Cruz, they're still going to dominate. People like me, principled conservatives, we've got about a third of the party. But 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 Michael, you're a numbers guy. Two thirds and one third of a dying, shrinking party. That's not enough to ever win. So the party's going to break up. But I could never run as a Republican again. Matt Getz could. Tom Cotton could. These guys, because I think Trump's still going to dominate. I don't think Trump's going anywhere. He may end up in jail, but Trump is still going to dominate. And Michael, you know better than I do. Hell, he could run for president again in 2024. Well, no, no, he he wants to. And, and if he wins this time around, rest assured, America, or whoever's listening to my podcast, Donald Trump is not going to walk away. He wants to be like um, Xi Jinping. He wants to be like Putin. He wants to be like Kim Jong-un, where he could be no longer a president or president for life, a.k.a. dictator. That's what he wants to be. He wants to be that autocrat that doesn't need to run. Or as Putin likes to put it, it doesn't matter who you vote for. All that counts is, all that matters is who's counting the vote. He doesn't want to run. He doesn't want to waste his time. He just wants to be flown around in yeah. Marine One to Air Force One to go around spewing his bullshit, letting his kids turn around and take advantage of their positions in Washington for their own financial gain. But, you know, I wanted to touch on Matt Getz for a second because it involved a guy who I used to call my friend, Sean Hannity. When oh, Matt God. Getz went after my wife at yeah. that time, that almost and should have cost him his law license. Yeah. He writes to me and I couldn't figure out how he got my cell number and he said all the right things. Ultimately, and I have a copy of this, which I may just post online, Sean Hannity is actually the one that dictated out to him exactly what he needed to say to apologize, gave him my cell number, right, in two or three different text messages that I actually had copies of. And I couldn't believe it. And I was like, listen, Matt, we all make mistakes. You know, I'm going to discuss this with my family just so that they understand. When you start talking about infidelity and, you know, you start bringing up again the wife and the father-in-law, all he was doing was playing to the, to the sick nature of Donald Trump. And that's all that they do. They're all playing to a party of one. I think Trumpy tools like Getz, Matt Getz, are going to dominate the Republican Party for the next four years. Yeah, well... I think he's going to get voted out because I think um, I, I truly believe that after Trump, America has smartened up a little bit. And I think that they're beginning to see the nonsense. And I also think that Donald Trump is going to be a plague to Republicans who are seeking reelection for their positions, because all the Democrat now has to say is, wait, 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 you voted with Trump on X, Y and Z, and then you supported him. X, Y, and Z. And he's going to get destroyed. Michael, you're right in a general election. I don't think a Republican who supports Trump 
can ever win a general election. But in a Republican primary, I'll tell you, in a Republican primary, you got to be a Trumpy dude for the next two to four years. Because think about it. I agree. Trump's going to get his ass killed, but 92 or 3 percent of the Republicans are going to vote for him. And by the way, his base, they're not even if Trump gets killed, they're not going to accept the election results. This is what Trump's been doing. This is what Trump has been spreading. He's inciting violence, man. Yep. So talk to me for a moment about Mark Meadows. In 2019, during the heat of impeachment, you wrote a piece for the Bulwark, castigating Meadows, Jim Jordan, and some of your other former Tea Party compatriots for their inability to accept the truth. What was Meadow like when you first met him as a freshman congressman versus the asshole that you see today? Because Jim, uh, James Carville says that, that Meadows is a moron who thinks he's smarter than he is, and others call him a pathetic wannabe Alexander Haig. What's your take of Meadows? Uh, my take from the beginning, Michael, with Meadows was he's, an, he's a not very bright, smooth operator. He was always an operator, didn't know a damn thing about policy, didn't care about policy, man. He wanted to make his way in fucking Washington. He wanted to be something. So but but I I mean, I would laugh at him. I'd get a kick out of him. But he was just an operator. So it doesn't surprise me what he's done. And by the way, Michael, don't forget this past May, May of 2020, he holds a fucking indoor wedding for his daughter down in Atlanta, breaks all the rules. You and I can't do shit like that, but he does it. But that's Meadows. Uh, Michael, I'm so much more disappointed in Jordan. Jim Jordan and I were buddies. We were tied at the hip. He was a good Tea Party conservative like I was, man. He hated the Republican establishment. He hated the debt. And Jim Jordan professes to be a man of faith. I don't recognize who this Jim Jordan is now. Uh, Meadows, I still see because Meadows was always a prick and operator. I don't recognize who this Jim Jordan is now, though, Michael. It's just it saddens me. Now, let's hope that they come back. Unfortunately, um, nah. with Mark Meadows as chief of staff. It, it was basically because he played to a party of one. He played totally. to his you know, ego and. Um, Donald Trump's refusal to disavow QAnon is really puzzling to many, but it makes sense in the larger narrative that these people are really Trump's true base of support. As someone who has worked the far corners of conservatism, discuss with me how QAnon adherents have crept into the Republican Party. Which candidates are actually Q candidates and how deep have they wrapped themselves inside the party? Hey, the numbers, Michael, are staggering. Something like 40-some percent of Republicans, 40 to 50, believe QAnon is legit and it's important. Uh, The numbers are frightening. But again, I go back to the beginning. Uh, You have a a base of older white voters. They're good people, but they're scared. And they're susceptible to this conspiracy bullshit. And, And along comes a demagogue who is, as you know, Michael, a conspiracy theorist himself. So he can't disavow QAnon because he'd be pissing off his base voters. Look, and and he can't full-throated disavow white supremacism because he doesn't want to piss off that strand of his support. Uh, It's not confusing why he's doing what he's doing. I mean, you ever see, they ask him, 
about David Duke. Uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, who's David Duke? Didn't he found, uh, isn't he the founder of Duke University? Uh, no, Mr. <laughs> President, he's not. Um, <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it, that's the problem when you have somebody that doesn't read, that gets their news by watching Fox, right? It's, it's, an, it's an incredible thing that the guy will not read. He will not even let somebody inform him right, who knows what they're talking about because you have 30 seconds to give him the pitch. Well, this yeah. is national security is not a pitch. Immigration is not a pitch. Prison reform is not a pitch, bitch. It's right. just not, all right? And he has to stop. He's sitting there touting, oh, we've done more for prison reform. You've done bullshit, jack shit, nothing. And right. it's enough already. There are people that are sitting in prison that should be out, whether it's based upon the amount of, of marijuana, Right. I knew a guy at Otisville who was in there because he had moved something like 10,000 kilos of marijuana, which is, you know, 22,000 um, or 220,000 pounds of marijuana. OK, it's a lot of marijuana nine years ago. Right. Today, you have publicly traded companies that are moving that yeah. in an hour. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and it's and it needs to change. The guy is not violent. There were no guns. There was no weapons. There was no death. The guy was moving marijuana. Okay. Right. Bad. I've never smoked. Right. And I'm not into it. But okay. We have publicly traded companies on the stock market that yeah. are moving that same amount every single hour. I just I I don't get it. So you know what? We need to push prison reform. Whether it's for people like the guy who I'm referring to back at Otisville or others, yeah. it needs to change. We've made incarceration not into a matter of protection, but rather into a business. And I don't, and I truly don't get it. And it, it needs to stop. A Amen. Hey, Michael, here's our problem, though. He's going to lose. This horrible human being is going to lose. But 35 to 40 percent of the American voting population is not going to accept that result and they're not going to move on. And that 35 to 40% of the population, unfortunately, is going to dominate the Republican Party, and Trump is going to keep inflaming it, even after he loses. I've been talking about that for a long time, but I want to switch gears for a second and talk yeah. about Hunter Biden. Oh. The Hunter Biden story seems to be getting very little traction outside of conservative media. On Sunday... You had Trump's surrogate, Ron Johnson, on Maria Bartiroma, trying to push the narrative that there was child pornography found on Hunter Biden's hard drive, which has zero basis, but seems to fire up QAnon. Do you see this laptop becoming the Pizzagate obsession of 2020 for the far-right conservatives? No, and, and Michael, this, again, is what makes me so sad. I got elected with Ron Johnson. Uh, he's from the state just north of me, another good friend of mine in Congress. I don't know what's happened. Well, I sound stupid, naive. What the fuck has happened to Ron Johnson? Ron Johnson's a smart business guy. The fact he knows Donald Trump is a piece of shit. I know for a fact that Ron Johnson knows Donald Trump is an unfit piece of shit. And yet he's been running interference for Trump. Uh, look, look, Michael, to your point, this is the Republican closing argument. Hunter Biden is a pedophile. I, I mean, uh, enough. It's not getting traction because the vast majority of the American people know it's bullshit and don't care about it. Well, uh, yes, but let's not forget what I was involved with. I talk about it in my book, Disloyal, with Ted Cruz yeah. when using the National Enquirer 
at Trump's request and with his knowledge, we put out the photo of Ted right. Cruz's father with Lee Harvey Oswald. And we promoted this fake narrative of him being involved in the assassination of JFK. I mean, just truly, truly amazing. But Michael, important point, truly amazing. But that was in a fucking Republican primary. So you 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 had a certain percentage of the Republican primary voters that's going to believe this shit. This is a general election. That ship has sailed. Trump's still trying to do the greatest hits from 2016. The problem for him is we've got a president now who's been president for four years and he's fucked up. The American people have wised up, most of them. Now that the Associated Press just published a story that the FBI is investigating whether or not the Hunter Biden emails are part of some Russian influence operation to spread disinformation, that's something we've been talking about forever now, Rudy Giuliani is playing with real fire here out of desperation to reelect Trump. Do you see an endgame where it's Rudy in handcuffs when it's all said and done? You can answer this better than I can. I, I, I can easily see Rudy in jail. I can still easily see Trump in jail. But I can easily see Rudy when this is all done, Michael, being put away. Oh, my God. I mean, I've never seen anybody go from America's mayor to lapdog to Donald Trump. I mean, he's really taken it. What happened to him, Michael? To Rudy? I believe it's financial. I, be I, I okay. truly believe it's financial and desperation for the need to be needed, wanted, written about. I mean, that's that's what Rudy is was all about. When he created Giuliani Partners, they were doing um, terribly around the time that, you know, Trump was becoming president and he was looking for some of these big foreign contracts, which he's managed to get now that he sits there with those fake laminates smiling and shit, right? You know, half drunk out of his mind, you know, right. acting like a complete moron on television, right? Sitting with his eyes bulging out of his head. Yeah, he's just become, again, he's doing what they're all doing. He's playing to a party of one at the expense of the rest of America, right? All they care about is playing because now he's able to get the contracts that he wants. And from what I understand, there are multiple investigations now into these various corporations that he has that nobody knows who, what, where, when, why. Now, all of a sudden, I hear that his son wants to run for, yeah. for mayor or something like that. Do you understand that the kid was an assistant golf pro at one of Trump's <laughs> golf courses? I mean, certainly, that's definitely well, – he's got my vote. Andrew, you've got my vote, pal. Here's <laughs> a, a Michael, here's the thing. My buddy Rick Wilson wrote the book, Everything Trump Touches Dies. Here's the important point, though. These people choose to sell their soul. They choose to be corrupted. Ted Cruz has chosen to do what he's doing. Jim Jordan, Mark Meadows, Trump didn't force them to sell their soul. They fucking chose to sell their soul. And I don't understand it, you know, because, yes, and everyone's saying, yeah, well, Cohen, you did the same thing. You sold your soul. And this is according to Judge um, William H. Pauley III, yeah. who sentenced me, right? He said, you, were, you did this for greed, for money, and power. No, sir. That's inaccurate. And all the documents that you had would have shown it. My story is not a rags-to-riches story. My story was a riches-to-rags story. When I went to work for Trump, yeah. I was as close to being a centimillionaire as you can be, right? I didn't need to work. I was basically semi-retired at 39. I got very lucky early on and it had nothing to do with brains. It was pure luck, right? And I made enough money. I could only work for Trump 
because I had income coming in from investment right. sources, right? That were a multiple of my salary. I could right. not have lived the life I wanted based off of Trump's salary. I did it for the power. I did it for the celebrity power. Yeah. And he yeah. has a magnetic personality when it comes to that, which is what makes him so freaking dangerous because he has a way of talking directly to you and making you feel like you're the most special person in the room when he's actually just sizing you up and looking at you like an asshole. And it's, 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 it's a talent Probably the only talent that he has is being a great bullshit artist. Well, you're, you're right, Michael. Look, most of these guys sell their soul for money ratings. They want to get reelected. I, I get it all. I mean, Rush Limbaugh, Hannity, all these guys. If I had played ball, Michael, I'd be the biggest thing in talk radio right now. You'd have money and ratings. I mean, so, yeah, it's tempting. Yeah, that's all that Sean Hannity used to talk about. I'm making $35 million a year. I mean, Bingo. It's a total disgrace. And. How many times did I saved him? Trump didn't want to talk to him. I, that'll be for a whole nother conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of conservative media, you tweeted on Friday that Donald Trump will lose this election, as will many of his Republican enablers. But millions of Americans won't accept the outcome because of what they're hearing from conservative media. This is something that we've talked a lot about on this podcast. But I want to dig even deeper for a moment. And I want to discuss how... Disinformation gets spread throughout the conservative echo chamber. Now, as someone who used to traffic in these circles, do me a favor and walk the listeners through the disinformation cycle and how it's spread. Obviously, it starts with the president, but he's been able to weaponize disinformation. Walk us through the process. So Trump says something, Michael. And they're all on Team Trump. And you got to sign something, man. You got to be on Team Trump. I was told, like all the rest of them in conservative media, we now are all on Team Trump. We have to we have to repeat everything he says. And if you can't do that, get out. So he says something outrageous like this thing, Michael, this virus, no worse than the flu. So that night, Tucker Carlson, Laura Ingram, Hannity, that afternoon, Rush Limbaugh, they all repeat the same bullshit because Trump says it. And if, if you're not as big as Hannity or Rush, you're told to repeat what Trump says. Rush and Hannity make that decision on their own. They repeat Trump's lies and then the people, their audience buys it. So it just gets repeated and regurgitated. You don't need to wear a mask. All of these lies, man, they just get filtered through the whole cycle. Well, I think we have to expand it. Sean Hannity doesn't make his own decisions. You do have Rupert Murdoch yeah. at the top of Fox, the New York, um, you know, the, the, the New York Post, as an example, has, to me, my opinion, has become nothing more than the National Enquirer. Right yeah. now that David Pecker has been fake moved out of his position at the Inquirer, right? I mean, that's another thing that needs to be investigated. Yeah. But the New York Post, you cannot say anything negative about Trump because that, that dicta has come straight from Rupert Murdoch. Yeah. And yet, interesting, his sons, Lachlan and James, right. don't buy into this bullshit. But somehow or another, daddy has managed to keep total control. Because the things that they write, the thing, if Donald Trump farted, it would be the it would headlines would be the greatest fart in the history of the world. Bingo. And that's really the truth. And that then gets promoted by more conservative media. And that's where the Hannity's pick it up and the and the Rush Limbaugh's and the Tucker Carlson's. And then they run with it. And everybody that they put on are all 
And I know I used to go on the show. Yeah, yeah. You know exactly what you're going to be talking totally, about totally. in advance. And you know exactly what the theme is supposed to be. You know Hannity better than I do. I think Hannity's a fucking idiot. I think he probably has to know Trump's kind of a moron. I know Tucker Carlson and Tucker is sold out. Tucker knows that Trump is a fucking idiot and bad for the country. But Tucker, man, he wants the number one rated show, period. So Sean Hannity's not stupid. I have to be honest. And I do know Sean. Well, I did know Sean very well. Yeah. And he's not stupid by any means. What he is is he's greedy. He's making $35 million and he doesn't want the gravy train to stop. Now, he'll tell you, I, I'll walk away from it all, right? And so on. Bullshit. I call <laughs> bullshit on that one. No one's walking away from $35 million, especially not Sean. Yeah. Right? He loves the attention that, that it brought to him, Yeah. that it brings to him. And he loves his new airplane, and he loves all of his yeah. real estate investments now, things we used to talk about all the time. Right. Bingo. He loves the fact that he has so much money now that women are actually really looking at him. He's not a bad looking guy, nor is he dumb. And he's got money. Well, that's the trifecta. Right. But the big problem is you've now allowed your entire soul to be sold out to somebody who you yourself have called fucked up on many yeah. occasions to me. Right. On many occasions, Hannity has said some crazy shit about Trump. But worse than that, Trump has said some crazier, nastiest shit about, about Hannity. Hannity. Yeah, it's to me, it's just amazing. But besides for the obvious Fox News, who are the most dangerous out there in the spreading of misinformation? Because in my mind, the Sinclair stations oh. would rank perhaps even higher than Fox. But walk me through the conservative news hierarchy in terms of who spreads the most bullshit. Well, uh, again, in no particular order, Michael, the Fox News primetime lineup is scary. You're right about Sinclair. I mean, that's propaganda and they're all over the country. OAN and Newsmax and all of these outfits, minor leaguers, but spreading the same bullshit. But then all of the talk radio hosts around the country who aren't as big as Hannity or Rush, these are the guys who are told by their companies to spread it all. Guys like Hugh Hewitt and Dennis Prager and Mike Gallagher and all of these guys. Rush Limbaugh, man, he's, I mean, he's doing what he's doing. But it, it's its everywhere. And all, the, all of the young grifter commentators now, Charlie Kirk. I used to know Charlie Kirk. He was like a son to me. All, you've got a whole generation of young conservative grifters now who are out there making a shitload of money. Well, that's what it's all about. And it's no different than the same with Rudy Giuliani, yeah. right? Where it's all for them. It was about making money. Me, it was about loyalty. I had yeah. this loyalty to Donald that was far greater than what I could even explain, right? I mean, when I said to Emily Jane Fox of Vanity Fair that I would take a bullet for him, I would have taken a bullet for him, wow. right? Just not if he was the one pulling the trigger. Right. And when I realized that it was him whether it was Jared the jerk off, whether it was Don the dummy, or whether it was um, John Kelly or any of the others that were there around him that were telling him, Cohen has to go down. He needs to be your scapegoat. Yeah. Right. And we need to find stuff and pin it on him, which yeah. would be different than anybody else, like the tax evasion nonsense that they got me on, simply because it's unrelated to you. And it's, it's, it's a shame. But Joe, I want to conclude this podcast today with something that I've been asking everyone. Yep. And I asked everyone this same question. What do you prognosticate for election day 
in terms of Trump refusing to accept defeat? Do you see a situation where he calls upon his MAGA army of Proud Boys and Oath Keepers and the Wolverine Watchmen to take to the streets? What's your, what's your prediction? Because for me, I'm terrified of what this crazy man is looking to do. Prepare for the worst. I, I actually believe Trump's going to lose by a lot. I think we'll know it election night. I think we'll actually know the result election night, but I don't think any of that matters. I think Trump will tell his supporters not to accept it. I think in the following days after the election day, Trump will spread the fire and try to inflame anger around the country. Um, I think he'll eventually go because he's a fucking coward, but he will demand that his followers make trouble. I don't think he'll congratulate Biden. I don't think he'll show up at Biden's inauguration. I think he'll blow off all of that shit. Now, I agree with you. I believe that Biden is going to win. I'm not so sure I agree that it's going to be a landslide. I believe that Biden wins both the popular vote by yeah. a landslide. Uh, the electorate, I'm not 100. But I'm so sure that Biden is going to win. I don't know if, you, if you've ever done this, because this is the first time I'm doing it. I actually placed a bet <laughs> that Biden is going to win. I went to this I went to this service. It's called Guesser, G-U-E-S-S-E-R, Guesser.com. Cool. And I found it. They set up all the odds because I didn't know how to do it or where to do it. And yeah. I put a $10,000 bet. I took some of the profit um, that Fantastic. I had made on the on the book, the signed book that I said I was going to. And I took 10, 10 grand and 100% <laughs> of this money I'm going to donate to the ACLU for how helpful they were uh, with my lawyer, Donya Perry and, um, and Jeff Levine, right? That the two of them have with the ACLU. Good on you, Michael. Good on you, man. And, but I want to earmark it for something that's socially conscious and benefits, right? I just don't want it going into an operating fund. I want it to be on behalf of somebody that Good. they determine that they need money in order to help. Like, for example, a reality winner. I yeah. want them to use that money for something like that. And it's just the beginning of what I'm going to try to do. But Good for you, Michael Cohen. Good for you. I think they gave me two to five odds onto it and so on. <laughs> so I'm now financially vested in hoping that 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 Biden wins. You know, That's and, awesome, man. Good for you, Michael. You know, without the, the humor behind the whole thing, I agree with you. I'm incredibly concerned yeah. that he is going to declare victory before the election even starts. And then he's going to turn around and claim that the Democrats interfered, that there's ballot manipulation yep. that's been going on, and that he's going to challenge the entire election. And now that he has his lapdog, Bill the Ass Bar, he's yep. going to turn around and then they're going to start filing actions, whether it's against the state, whether it's against the United States government itself. Uh, they're going to file actions all over thinking now that he stacked the Supreme Court, that the Supreme Court is going to somehow nullify yeah. the entire election. And he's going to be able to remain in office for some additional term until there's either a new election or the Supreme Court Here's the case. Now, I'm in litigation with Trump. He owes me millions of dollars in legal fees, right? I'm also suing my former accountant, uh, Jeffrey Getzel, on behalf of, um, you know, fa failing to do my, my taxes properly after paying him like 30 grand to, you know, to do them and missing and stuff, which gave them the ability to come after me for all that nonsense. But I truly believe that, that Trump is going to stall like he's doing with my case 
we're not available for depositions. We don't have the documents. It's yeah. going to take us time. We're in the middle yeah. of a campaign, dot, dot, dot. He's going to find any excuse to stall it, and he's going to try to drag out two, three, four years and thinking that he's going to work over the Supreme Court judges so that he right. can stay in power, and then he's going to run for a third term. I mean, the guy already came out, and not only is he horsing around about 2024, the election, but he also said because the way Democrats have treated him, over the last four years, he should get a four-year redo. Yeah. But according to him, he's done so great. He's done better than any president in, in the last hundred years. So which one is it? Which is why we have to, the victory, Michael, has to be as big as possible. Um, and I think it will be. Remember, uh, Michael, I'll leave you with this. From the moment he raised his right hand in January of 2017 and was sworn in, the turnout against him we've never seen in this country. 2018, the biggest turnout we've ever had in a midterm and is all because of Trump. You're gonna, we're gonna see turnout this year like we've never seen. He'll get killed, but I agree, he'll do whatever he can to hang on to power. Joe, thank you so much, people. Remember, on behalf of Joe Walsh and myself, get out there and make sure that you vote, put your ballots in, follow up, do what you need to do. Joe, thank you so much for being on the podcast. You stay strong and stay in touch. Keep fighting, man. Joe Walsh is emblematic of the crisis facing the Republican Party in a post-Donald Trump world. He wonders if there is even room for him anymore in a party that has propagated so much hate and division over the past four years. The problem he sees, though, is the vacuum that will arise from Trump's defeat. And nature, we know, abhors a vacuum. Those who will come running to fill the breach will represent not the very best of the party, but instead its very worst. Republican leaders like Matt Goetz will emerge from Trump's defeat, emboldened to take the party further into the void. During the pandemic, we will have opened Pandora's box with Trump's coordination and encouragement of these militia and extremist groups. They are not going to go away. Instead, you will have a group energized and inflamed by Trump's electoral loss. They will become the vanguard of the new Republican Party, armed and dangerous, racist and angry. It's a frightening specter, but unless the party itself declares itself dead and starts anew under a new name, there is no way to rid themselves of what Donald Trump has wrought. And thanks for listening. Maya Culpa is brought to you by LSJ Media and Audio Up, in association with Midas Touch, and it's hosted by me, Michael Cohen, produced by Audio Up by Jimmy Jelnick, and executive producer, Jared Gustad. And it's edited by Tyler Dawson. Please register to vote. I'll do my part on this podcast, but to truly make a difference, you must vote this man out of office. So if you're not registered, go do it now and come out and make sure that you vote on November 3rd.
Susan, it's so great to finally be able to get together again. Oh, it sure is. And I really appreciate you picking up the bill. I'm happy to. I've got the extra cash. Since we've all been driving so much more again, I've been using GetUpside, the free gas app that pays you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get paid cash when you buy gas with the GetUpside app? Yes, up to 25 cents a gallon. Cash back every time I buy gas. Does that actually add up to anything? Some months I make 200 to 300 bucks. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the free GetUpside app now. Download the free GetUpside app now in the App Store or Google Play to save up to 25 cents a gallon when you buy gas. Use promo code FILL for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's up to 50 cents a gallon on your next fill-up. You can cash out anytime to PayPal or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free GetUpside app and use promo code FILL for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code FILL. It's clear to you that de-icing the wings will not be done in a jiffy. You look for phone outlets but see none. Only photos of phone outlets. A voice announces your gate is now 39C-12B-9A. It's like musical chairs if musical chairs made you sob in the pet relief area. A child picking his nose stares. His parents have abandoned him. The airport will raise him now. Don't let flight delays ruin your vacation. Go on a real vacation. Go RVing.